Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Offset, here with Keith Myers. Keith, it's a very special episode today. Uh, we've reached 200 consecutive weekly uh, recordings of the show. That's uh, Not everybody gets to that point when they start a podcast. You just never know. And uh, we just have this kind of will to uh, keep it going no matter what. And uh, here we are. So welcome to the show. Yeah, 200 shows. That's quite a bit. Um and also, we are um, we're here celebrating a win. So a week ago, we were here thinking uh, that uh, a loss to Arizona, and you know the team will have lost three in a row, four out of five, and what was once a Super Bowl aspiration season might be in a tailspin. Instead, they pick up the victory. They um, are now they're still tied for first place in the division. They are looking stronger than they had been the previous few weeks, and it. It's a very different week this week than last week. Yeah, it's great. Seattle moves to seven and three on that win. Uh, turned around the defense. The offense came back to kind of what we expect. Uh, got got really efficient with Russell Wilson. Uh, at the at the time of the victory, we were first in the NFC West before the Rams and Bucks game uh, Monday night. Uh, the the Bucks did not give us uh, any favors in that game, so the Rams took it. Also took control temporarily of the NFC West uh, by virtue of the tiebreaker. And then uh, we, we started out as the second seed in the NFC behind the Saints. And now because of that uh, Rams game, we dropped to the fifth seed. Uh, Eagles are currently the fourth seed with a 3-6-1 and one record who we face this next week. So we're, we're in fifth, uh, fifth seed. We'd be on the road in the first week of the uh, the playoffs should they uh, start uh, today. But we've got plenty of football left, six games. Uh, the next, uh, what, three or four are um, are get against some of the weaker opponents in the entire NFL. Can't count the cards ahead of time, but all signs point to uh, Seattle uh, continuing uh, to, uh, to get better and on a roll before uh, the games get real serious at the end of the year and then the playoffs. Yeah, because, um, I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles lead their division at 3-6-1, and one, um, and that's who Seattle goes to take on this week, and that's the best team in that division, and the Seahawks play. It's still a scary game. Three out of the four um, in that division over the next four games, and the fourth game is against the Jets, who are one of the worst teams ever assembled in NFL history. Yeah, so, that's really the only only gimme gimme game that I'm really looking at in this streak. Um, the, uh, the Eagles played, um, the Cleveland Browns pretty well through, uh, through two and a half quarters. And then they kind of pulled away, got close at the end and then pulled away, um, with that victory for the Browns. Um, the Eagles are definitely a flawed team, but anytime you're a division leader and you've got a chance to be in the playoffs, every game is a playoff game for them. So I imagine they're going to try to give us their best shot. I don't know what that best shot is yet. Um, we're going to talk about that game uh, following our discussion of the Arizona Cardinal game. Um, but before all of that, uh, we're going to um, get us some into some news and notes for the week just to kind of get caught up on Seahawks stuff. Uh, mostly um, the uh, uh, injury report kind of statuses. Where are we sitting with that? Uh, returning to practice this week. Uh, Keith, as of today, recording on Tuesday afternoon, Ethan Posick uh, has returned to practice to uh, be our center again. Uh, Chris Carson set to return at running back, uh, full participant in practice today. Nothing slowing him down. That's great news considering well, we that. Saw, we saw what a difference uh, Carlos Hyde made uh, in this last game. He absolutely. Was, he was absolutely instrumental in, in the efficiency of Seattle's offense. And he's the backup, right? Carson's the starter. And when they were both out, the offense struggled and Wilson turned the ball over and it was a mess. And with um, with Hyde there, it looked significantly better. Um, with Carson and Hyde both back, 
the offense should be rolling again. And, and DJ uh, Dallas to come in and, and third down type stuff. And yeah, yep. I really love that mix. Um, you know, I can't think it's, uh, you know, when, when both Hyde and Carson went down together, um, that was uh, an underrated, uh, deeply concerning situation. I didn't think that we really kind of felt until we felt it. Um, at the time that they went out, the running game just wasn't really mattering that much. Russell Wilson was carrying the day. That's just the way that everything was kind of set up, the way that teams were defensing us and so forth. We took advantage of that. But on games where we could have used a run game and we didn't have it, that's when it really became apparent. And so having Chris Carson back along with Hyde, uh, you're right, that thing's going to get dialed up. And it just gives us that one more dimension in the offense to take some of that pressure off the, the passing game and open things up for us and then put teams yep. away down the stretch. And so what, you know, the Seahawks have, have run through a, a bunch of guys in there with, um, you know, the rookie DJ Dallas, uh, getting some run Homer, getting some play, um, bro Scarborough, uh, the, the, uh, Alex Collins and Bo Scarborough <laughs> both got a bunch. Scarborough was the backup in this game and he's actually now landed on injured reserve with, uh, that hamstring injury. Hamstring so. tear needs surgery, unfortunately, mm-hmm. for both Scarborough, Scarborough. But having Chris Carson come back this week is good timing in that respect. Don't. It's good for the Seahawks, but it's rough for Scarborough because this is a guy that um, was a great college player, um, but doesn't really have the acceleration. He's a load to, to get down once he gets up to speed, yep. but it takes him a while. He needs a little bit of a runway. And so being given a chance to show and show some effectiveness at this level is going to, was something that was going to get him more opportunities. If not with Seattle, with someone else and for him to get a chance to play, be successful in playing and then get hurt is just terrible news for him. I agree. You know, that's, that is a tough situation. Um, Shaquille Griffin, uh, set to return at cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks this week. That brings up some interesting dynamics in the way that the backfield's been performing, maybe a little better now. Uh, Griffin gets reinserted, presumably, into that starting role. So that gives you a pause as to what happens with Flowers and the emergence of DJ Reed as a corner in this defense. Um, And I've got some stats later on that we can talk about and go into that uh, in further depth. Uh, Bad news, again, on the injury front with Greg Olson. He's got a fascia rupture in in his foot. He's out on uh, IR today and uh, presumably for six to eight weeks. Um, yeah. I mean, people are talking about, well, maybe he can come back for the playoffs and whatnot. Honestly, like if you've ever had the, that the plantar fasciitis, right. Which is just, it's that same thing, but it's just inflammation and how long that can linger and how rough it is to do anything with. Um, and now you think about actually tearing that ligament. Like, yeah, they say six to eight weeks, but man, that's going to be a brutal injury to come back from uh, on any timetable. So I don't know. I He's headed to injured reserve. I wouldn't be surprised to have him be done for the year. Um, but the Seahawks are okay at, um, at tight end. I mean, Will Disley is the starter and, you know, Olsen was signed so that Disley could come back slower. Well, you know what? He's back and uh, ready for that that job. And then you've got Parkinson and um, Hollister who need playing time. Well, um, we'll see about Parkinson. So, I mean, he hasn't even, he's been, uh, he hasn't even dressed for a game yet. He's been activated, but not dressed. We'll yeah, see. He, we'll but see. he's on the, he's on the roster. He's been practicing, um, but they just haven't needed, haven't needed that many tight ends. I'm actually so. excited to see the kid. I mean, mm-hmm. he's missed the entire off season, so I'm not expecting much, but if he can get, four or five snaps a game in the red zone type of an offense uh, just for another target down there. The guy's six foot seven and uh, 250, 260 pounds and runs an adequate 40 time. I mean, that guy could be a difference maker if he gets a little bit of experience before the playoffs and, and, and legit red red zone opportunities uh, hard, harder to come by uh, with better defenses down the stretch. Uh, that could be, that could be something in play. Um, Seattle activated, uh, Damon Harrison, uh, to the active 53 man roster. So he came off the practice squad again, a couple other teams really wanted to pick him off on Monday, including the Jaguars, I believe. And, and, uh, some other, some other teams. Oh, he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting picked off. I mean, 
the Seahawks signed him. They worked on, they got him into shape. They knew they had two weeks of him being on the practice squad where they can, um, you know, do the dance where he comes up on game day and goes back down automatically. So they did that for two weeks and then he was going to get activated to the, to the, uh, 53. There was no way he wasn't. Uh, we're talking about a guy who was an all pro a couple of years ago. Um, a very good player. Good. You know, I mean, he was a guy that this was a no brainer. Um, the idea that other teams were hoping that Seahawks would leave him on the practice squad. Uh, sure. But it's just like saying, you know, we're hoping that the, the Rams would cut Aaron Donald. Um, so that way the Seahawks could sign him. It's not going to happen. Um, yes. Point taken. I know, I know, I know that <laughs> I'm just saying they, they, they forced Seattle's hand on Monday, a couple teams, coming in and mm-hmm. trying to make the case for him to, to sign with, with somebody else, which he could have at that point. Um, he could, have and it. now he's, he's definitely on the, on the roster. Um, Daryl Taylor should be able to start practicing this week or next. Just wanted to throw that out there. It's a guy that we, we yet have not seen, but could add to the mix right now on an improving, uh, defensive line for Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Pete Carroll uh, came out and said, "Wait till you see Daryl Taylor, and see what he can do uh, for us." Um, and then he mentioned athleticism, physicality, and his mentality. He's going to have a chance to help us soon, as soon as he gets out there. So Pete Carroll is really excited just from seeing him. Uh, obviously, he saw all the, all the college tape, but seeing him in his individual workouts, his workout ethic, uh, where he's at uh, mentally, um, he's he's ready to get in there. And so we'll see. Um, it could be definitely a positive development. And then, uh, Rashad Penny, uh, Pete said he's not going to come back this week, but he'll definitely be back into practice next week. It'll be a short week. So I wouldn't imagine he's going to be activated, but that does start the clock as far as him being able to uh, practice with the team for up to three weeks before he gets added to the roster. And my guess is they're going to give him the full three weeks because he's been working out pretty hard, um, trying to get back and, and, doing a lot of stuff. So his like fitness is not going to be a thing, but he hasn't, he hasn't practiced with the team. He hasn't done anything. Um, there was no off season. He's going to need time to get fully up to speed. So that way they trust him, um, out on the field when, you know, on game day. And my expectation is that they'll give him the full three weeks and then bring him up, bring him in slowly. But just the idea that they're going to get him in there and, have some extra depth and have some, you know, just another, another body that they can throw and in there. And as we've that, seen, Carson and Hyde are not the most healthy guys, you know, throughout, yeah. throughout the year. So, um, and so they, it's one of those things they, they're just going to need bodies at some point because Carson and Hyde get hurt and, um, you know, Homer's been hurt and now Scarborough's hurt and, and, but we, and we've seen the, the offense just needs running backs. It needs the running game to be um, efficient. It's not, they don't need a lot of yards. They don't need a lot of runs, but they need the threat of it um, just to make sure that everything works the way it's supposed to. Agreed. All right. Let's set all that stuff aside and let's jump into this game. Uh, Let's set up the the defensive conversation here, Keith. The, uh, The defense obviously came to play in this game. I thought it came to play in the second half of that St. I just almost said St. Louis, uh, that Los Angeles Rams uh, game. And um, so let's talk some defense, but but set this thing up with this thing that happened uh, the week prior uh, before the game. So prior to the Arizona game, Ken Norton Jr. ran this defensive accountability meeting uh, designed to allow each player to go through their own position and list out their individual responsibilities out of the base defense who they are, uh, who they're uh, supposed to communicate with, what their assignments are, how it fits in with all the other uh, players and their assignments, and what you can count on from them as players. And Pete said it was uh, one of the most remarkable defensive meetings he's ever been in. Right? Whatever, take that for whatever you think, but I think maybe he's onto something. Like maybe this actually made a difference, and I'm wondering why they waited so long. Um, what I find interesting is, is this, if they felt like they needed to do this, they must've seen that the players were assuming that everyone was on the same page and understanding their responsibilities. And apparently that wasn't necessarily the case because a lot of 
situations came up in this meeting that told them that we needed to have this, like players needed to understand better uh, what other players were doing and, and have themselves kind of understand their own situational responsibilities. Um, and it, it showed up in that game against Arizona. Um, and I equate it to like algebra, you know, and you're a math, you're a math and science uh, teacher, Keith, you kind of get this uh, one concept and rule is built upon the foundation, you know, of each other rule. And so if you fall behind in algebra and math, you struggle to maintain your, your place because you miss a couple of weeks or you, you get a, a bad grade in a certain assignments and you never really understand that, that particular rule or whatever. Um, sometimes you never catch up. And, um, so that's kind of the, the deal. Yeah. Uh, so going, going back to, you know, this accountability meeting, uh, I understand that after a really good performance, um, the desire to be like, Ooh, this, ha- this was a big deal. Um, but if we look at, uh, the first half after that meeting, they might, th- there was essentially no defense being played. I mean, um, uh, the Rams went, yeah, but this was uh, after the Rams game. I thought it was before the Rams. game. This was after the Rams game. Okay. I miss on, I'm, I miss on I'm, Monday or Tuesday of this last, I was week. thinking it was, it was be, right before the Rams game. And then I'm like, okay, so they, but they played terrible after, you know, correct in the Rams game. So if you, if it was, if it was after the Rams game, then you have a team that actually played pretty well defensively in the second half of that Rams game. Um, and then came out in this game and even though they gave up, you know, some yards and some points and all of that, uh, the defense was significantly better. It looked like a completely different unit in this game. Um, I mean, they held the Arizona offense, which coming in was first in the NFL in total yards. Um, and, and close to, you know, being up at the top with points. I mean, one of the better offenses in the NFL, they held them to 317 yards and gave up three touchdowns. Um, but, but after between those three touchdowns, there were six other drives where they held them scoreless, you know? So this was a great performance. They shut the run game down. Uh, Mm -hmm. they had 57 yards on 18 carries, including Kyler Murray's scrambles. Um, they came in with a hundred plus yards in every game, 160 yards in the last four games. Um, Deion Hopkins was held in catch, uh, or not. DeAndre Hopkins held in check 51 yards on five receptions. Trey Flowers had that responsibility for the most part. Trey Flowers Flowers, actually playing well. Trey Flowers did pretty well in that. Um, They did roll it. Not, it wasn't like they rolled uh, coverage to his side every play, um, you know, and just double teamed uh, Hopkins, but they did it often enough that Arizona couldn't come out of, you know, get up to the line of scrimmage and, they didn't know whether Seattle was going to or not. Um, there wasn't, a, there weren't, there was never a look where they were like, "Oh, this is I've got one on one." Because uh, the Seahawks had that uh, single high safety, and then sometimes they would roll it over towards Hopkins and leave everybody else one on one, and other times they wouldn't. Um, and it was enough that it created a little bit of hesitation uh, for you know, them trying to go in that direction. And then you gotta admit flowers played pretty well. Um, he was, there were times when he was given a little bit too much cushion and given up stuff underneath, but the team was okay with him doing that and not getting beat deep. And ultimately it worked. So yeah. for the, for the third string corner, um, right. Because both the starters are out. Uh, that was a pretty good game against arguably the, the, the NFL's best wide receiver. Absolutely. Yeah, and DJ Reed played a good game. Uh, Quandre Diggs mm-hmm. played, I think, one of probably his best game of the season. His best game of the year. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that because he's been struggling. Um, but I think that meeting is the key for Diggs and Adams. Because to be completely honest, I think that's where the where the hiccups are coming from. Adams is kind of a, a freestyle player. Mm-hmm. Um, he will be the first to admit that. I think Pete Carroll has encouraged him to play that way a little bit in this defense. And they haven't really taken their, their assignments and played them fundamentally as good as they probably could. And that affects Quandre Diggs the most in this defense because Quandre Diggs depends on that communication to be able to do his job 
And when you don't have that, he just kind of in a no man's land sometimes. Yep. And then, and it's still, I mean, you look at the, um, there was one of the touchdowns in this game where, um, guy was wide open, uh, and you watch the play and it's pretty clear that it was Adams who was supposed to pick him Absolutely. up as he comes across the zone. And Adams didn't, he just let him run right behind him and, uh, ended up stepping up towards the line. Like he was spying, uh, the quarterback and nobody covered him wide open in the end zone, easy touchdown. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that, that can't happen. It's been happening too much this year. Um, and not just with him, but also uh, Quill Griffin before his injury was um, victimized by uh, that kind of stuff a lot. So, mm-hmm. well, and, this is, and Quill this is one of my been struggling with, the, with coverage with the in, in general too. Just yeah, yeah getting people. One of my one of my uh, my my issues with the coaching staff is you know you, you, they had this okay accountability meeting and all of that, but that's the type of thing players should have their own responsibilities where they know what their job is, like the first week of training camp. Yeah. Here we are. Sure. Here, here we are, you know, 10 games into the year. But we and have guys been integrating in a lot their... of different players and a lot of different players have played together because of injury and so forth. So I get it. I mean, sometimes you just break down. Sometimes there are some assumptions that, that are made, especially early on, especially without a really traditional um, preseason where um, everyone assumes everybody knows what they're doing and what the assignments are and what their accountability is on their individual performance for each schematic play call. But sometimes they don't. Some players don't say anything like, I don't get it or I don't understand or what should I be doing? They don't, they don't ask those questions because they're embarrassed. You know, so at a, a, a meeting like this allows them the freedom to say, hey, I'm looking at it this way. And maybe a coach can, can correct him or the guy sitting next to him say, hey, no, 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 you're supposed to be here. Um, so, so overall, I don't mind that the meeting was held in week 10 or whatever. Um, I wish it was a little sooner. Yeah. And I wish that the coaches recognized the, the fact that the players were struggling with, with some of those things. I assume how close they all are that there was some of that going on. But obviously, this meeting did make an impact. And you can't underestimate the impact that Carlos Dunlap is having. Yep. Um, now, Dunla- yeah. Now, Dunlap's been been an amazing pickup. He's basically come in um, at that Leo spot, which has been just kind of a black hole for the 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 Seahawks ever since uh, Cliff Averill 2017. Got, for- got forced in retirement with that neck injury at the end of 2017. Um, and they just, they have not gotten anything out of that position in two and a half years. And, um, and Dunlop is not even a traditional Leo guy. He's 285 pounds. I mean, this is a big man. He's big for the Leo, but he's got the other measurements. He's got the athletic traits. The the athletic traits. He's just, he just happens to do all of those things with a little bit more muscle, um, and weight. It makes you wonder what they'll do. Um, when Daryl Taylor is fully activated because Daryl Taylor is a true, uh, Leo, right? Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, Alton Robinson's big too, but he, and he's been playing the Leo, but he could also switch sides, I think. Yep. Um, and and my guess is that what you'll have is, is, um, you'll have, uh, Dunlap continue in that role because he's clearly. And Mayo has been, uh, taken a, a, a reduced rep share mm-hmm. so I think yep. 20 reps in this last game and so i think what you'll see when if daryl taylor is ever fully up to speed and and then is you'll see him uh backing up dunlop at the uh the leo and and getting his reps there um and they're not gonna move. i don't believe they'll move dunlop off that spot he's just been too valuable too well it's, good. A, it's a great in-season trade that just transformed their entire defensive unit now i'm, I'm not mm-hmm. even gonna stop at the defensive line i mean it's changed the whole thing because you're able to do so much more on that defensive line not only stopping the run because uh, carlos dunlap's a great run defender as well but you're getting to the quarterback now um seattle finishes with 28 quarterback pressures at at arizona or uh, against arizona um the highest of the season um mm-hmm. carlos dunlap had a 91.0 pass rush grade uh, 78 run defense um, two sacks, three quarterback hits, eight hurries, two tackles for loss, 
this is just kind of a normal stat line for this guy, um, yeah. including the walk-off sack to end the game. Which came with the Seahawks only rushed three. Yeah. Because they had um, they had people up at the line of scrimmage looking like they were going to bring five, and two of them dropped out. They only rushed three, and Dunlap just won against that. Kevin, like Kevin Beecham. Yeah, um, he just beat beat him and got in and and got the sack anyway, even though it was you know three rushers against five blockers. And he did but, it in about two and a half seconds too. I mean, this wasn't like an extended sack. This was yeah, like, this was not a coverage went sack right at around all. the guy. Yeah. Um, and but the thing is that even if even if even if he had felt the pressure and tried to get rid of it, um, because the Seahawks had eight guys in coverage, there wasn't anywhere to go with it, um, and so it was one of those situations where if you can get to the quarterback that quickly while still having coverage behind you, you you win. I mean, that, that's, that's what the, um, you know, 2013, uh, Seahawk defense did almost every time, you know, a quarterback dropped back to pass, they got pressure with their front, um, without blitzing and everyone else was in coverage. This is huge. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, over the last three games with Dunlap, Seattle's averaging 4.3 sacks a game. Um, that's number one in the NFL yeah. during that time. You know, and if they can do that with primarily a four-man front, uh, especially given the fact that Reed and Ford are, are, are also getting pressures um, at, at rates that are some of their personal best, and then you add Collier into that. Mix. As I say, you, we, we need to make sure we mention Collier. He hasn't been. And like, Green really hasn't even stepped up yet. Yeah. Collier hasn't been. It's not like he's been like some standout superstar. He or had anything. a great game. But he had a really good game in this. Had a sack. Forced um, that holding call in the end zone for that safety. Yep. Um, and That was a he's, big play. Oh, he's, been, he's been a nice piece um, this year. He's been solid contributor he continues to get better and for a guy that we did not know if he was going to be worth a roster spot after last year um it is great to see how well um he's come around this year and and everything so i tell you what uh, the uh you know the this this game just can't be understated because the cardinals coming into this were scoring 30 plus points and gaining 438 yards of total offense in five straight games. We held them to 317 yards, you know, and 21 points. Um, that's, and that, that was a season low for Seattle. Um, and that's, that's really amazing. And so if we can continue that, if we can build the momentum, so we're facing some offenses that are not quite up to NFL standards um, over the next four or five weeks. And this defense is only going to get more confident, I think, and only going to get uh, stronger together. And you add a couple of additional key pieces into that mix. And it's just, it's, it's, it could be season transforming. Um, Mm -hmm. You go to wondering if you can even make it out of the first round with the defense as poor as we've had to a defense that's at least league average um, and and could potentially even be better by the time we hit there. Um, It changes the whole dynamic of the entire thing. One of the big things that, that has happened that has really helped the Seahawks has been getting B.J. Reed healthy uh, on the back end because he started the year on the uh, non-football injury list. And once he got healthy and, and everything and they got him out there, he at first he was the nickel filling in for a, an injured Ugo Amadi. Uh, then he took over that... Um, outside spot after um you know the injuries to the starters there and so you had flowers on one side and and reed had to step in on the other and he has been good um he has been um really steady uh over there which is what they haven't had there well let me say so, this you... so many coverage so many so many coverage issues on the back end and then to have have someone over there who does his job he may not be like no one's going to confuse him w- with being like a pro bowl caliber guy, but he's still good. And he's consistently uh, good to a certain level. Yeah. And it's been, it's been a huge, 
Well, check this out. So I know you dis- you discount the pro football focus grades for defensive backs, and I get why. But you know, it gives us a parameter. So over the the last five weeks, Trey Flowers and DJ Reed ranked twenty first and twenty third among cornerbacks by pro football focus grade. Over the first six weeks, Shaq Griffin and Quentin Dunbar ranked 59th and 61st overall in pro football focus grades. And the eye test alone tells you that they're better. They've been playing mm-hmm. better. I mean, we haven't faced the same offenses and all that stuff, so everything's relative. But the first four games, we were giving up 401 yards in the passing game. The next four, we gave up 323.3 yards overall in the passing game. The last two games against decent offenses, uh, both the Rams and the Arizona Cardinals are top 10 offenses. They've given up 270 yards passing. So they've gone from 401 yards to 271 yards. And, and we have a completely different set of corners, um, in those games. Yeah. And, um, right now with the group that they've got with, um, Flowers and Reed, and they got Ugo Amadi running the nickel. Um, it's not the group that we came into the year thinking highly of. It, these were guys that, you know, you were hoping to get some uh, positive play out of, but they are performing at a level that is allowing other people to do their job, where um, Dunbar and Griffin were not. Yeah. Um, and so... It, well, and you add Dunlap nice in there with the defensive line, and you're you're now you're making your defensive backs better by that. So mm-hmm. opponent averages yards per game. Our first six games, four hundred and seventy nine point two yards, historically bad. In the last four games, three hundred and sixty eight yards uh, per game average. So that's less than a hundred yards, more than hundred yards difference um, mm-hmm. in the last four games. You know, since Dunlop came in and DJ Reed took over or at least was playing more in the backfield. So, um, and Adams came back. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals came into this game as the number one offense in the NFL by yards per game only had 314 total yards. Yeah. And, and we had been given up 479 earlier in the season when we first played mm-hmm. the Arizona Cardinals. That's where we were. Yep. So and we've so- come a long way. It, re- it really has. I mean, you look at 314 and you're like, okay, that's still on the high side. You'd really love to get that down in the 200s. But compared to 479, it, that's a great performance yeah. for this team. Well, and part of the difference is um, the Seahawks have 25 sacks now with six games remaining. Ranked 10th in the NFL, believe it or not, mm-hmm. um, with Taylor possibly and coming back. All we of have, those have come in the last three games. We had 13 sacks in the last <laughs> three games. Yeah which is unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Quandre Diggs for a minute. Uh, start talking about a, a few players here. So uh, Diggs in coverage and pass breakups and so forth at the end of the game um, with the game on the line. Um, plus that, that great ball jarring hit on Arnold over the middle, their, their tight end met him as he was catching the ball. Um, he did get flagged for a helmet thing. Um, but as aggressively as he was playing and most of the time he was playing well, I, I, you can overlook that situation, but uh, Quandre Diggs has been. I, I thought huge. that was a terrible call because uh, Hopkins did what, kind of flail on that too. The ball was thrown; it was it wasn't thrown accurately. If that ball was thrown accurately, then there's no problem. There's no no concern. There's no issues. He came in and he made contact after the ball got there. He would have been a very legal thing, but because the the ball was thrown inaccurately. He gets a 15 yard penalty for it. Um, and as a guy playing defense and playing the player, um, you know, who he sees goes up to try and catch a pass. What's he supposed to do? You have to go and make that play. And then, uh, and then for just because the ball was poorly thrown, he gets penalized for it. I, I just, I think that it's, that was a terrible call. Um, so I'm not going to ding him for that at all. I thought he played um, that play, and and really, uh, this entire game was his best best game. Yeah, a ninety uh, ninety point six grade, and ninety seven point grade in coverage. Now again, pro football focus, I get that, but holy cow, that's the top grade of any 
any uh, safety in the NFL in 2020 in coverage. Yeah, and um, that's what they, when they made the trade last year, that's what they traded for. And when he played last year in Seattle, that's what they got from him. And they haven't had a lot of that this year. He's been kind of lost. He's been running around in circles. It does look like he is, uh, that he wasn't sure what he was needing to be doing at times. And he really settled in in this game and um, played the way they thought he would play uh, coming into this year. Uh, one last note on the defense. Um, Jamal Adams, five and a half sacks total. Again, a factor. Um, Seattle has season low points allowed. Marks two weeks in a row. And uh, pressures against the Cardinals. Ford, Puna Ford had had uh, six pressures in this game. He's turning mm-hmm. into a really nice passing down guy. Um, Dunlap had eight pressures. Adams, five. Collier, three. They're getting it done right now. And um, hats off for whatever they're doing. That's, that's different. I, I really do believe it's just Dunlap. I mean, the guy is playing like Frank Clark used to play. Um, and we saw the effect that Frank Clark had on, uh, particularly Reed when he was here. And, um, I, I, there's just no way they're going to let Dunlap go. I mean, he's got another year under contract at $13.5 million cap hit next year. It's not guaranteed, but I guarantee you that they're going to extend him next year and, uh, probably a three, at least a three year extension and get that cap number down. Um, so he's on, in the fold for a while because he, boy, he makes a difference. He really does. Uh, let's talk offense. Um, Tyler Lockett joined Jerry Rice as the only players in Super Bowl era with 20-plus receptions, 250 yards, and four touchdowns versus a single opponent in a season. Uh, Jerry Rice did it against the Rams and Falcons uh, 94 and 1990, and uh, Tyler Lockett did it against the Cardinals this year. Uh, talk about a, a the team beater. I mean, Tyler Lockett's been having a, a good uh, mm-hmm. a good year and had a great game. Um, and the way that they did it against this, this Cardinals team, this time we talked about it in the podcast before this last game, Keith, of what the offense could do to help right the ship, because whatever they've been doing the last couple of games, the last three or four, three out of the four games that they've lost, they've really lost their way on, um, on offense, not having those running backs, really hurt having Carlos Hyde back obviously helps, but they created movement bunches, screens, quick throws, motion play action, gave Wilson a chance to beat the aggressiveness of the Cardinals defense. Um, and I thought that was a, that was a really um, decent approach and it was effective. I mean, Russell Wilson had his, one of his most efficient games um, all year. It didn't have a ton of yardage, but, what what they were able to do offensively, I really liked. Well, and part of it is you had a 41-yard uh, completion that DK Metcalf called back because of a phantom mm. holding penalty. Mm. Oh, that was egregious. I mean, a guy gets trucked and falls down, and somehow he, he gets called for holding. <laughs> it was um, crazy. It was, I mean, it, Damian Lewis had like zero hands on him the yeah. entire play. Like he literally yeah. used his forearms to block him, and yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, it was it was one of the worst um, phantom holds that you'll see, and it brought a forty-one yard reception um, back. And it was one of those things where you you saw, um, you know, people on Twitter and and the announcers being like, "How do they get you know Metcalf? He hasn't had any opportunities, and he doesn't have any stats and." Blah blah blah, and I'm like, well, yeah, but you, it, it's not his fault that uh, the refs blew that call yeah. because, um, I mean, that's that's a forty. It was a forty-one yard reception that well, should have and, counted. And he also and he had that, that really nice touchdown. That and and one of the the greatest developments in DK Metcalf's career so far is the fact that he's really developed that rapport with Russell Wilson when the play gets unstructured. And Russell mm-hmm. Wilson scrambling, and they've got to figure it out on the fly. And TK uh, Metcalf did that, got behind his guy in the end zone, and uh, and Russell Wilson was able to lob it over there. So, yeah, and then Metcalf also had two drops. He um, did one, have two drops in this game. One in the back of the end zone. Yeah, um, hit him right in the hit, face mask. Yeah, hit him in the face mask, and then another one um, on a crossing route that hit him in the hands. And he 
he was looking upfield. He was um, he was thinking big gain, but forgot to catch the ball because he was not looking at the ball. He was already looking upfield on that second one. Um, I have noticed some improvement this year with with the drops, but once in a while they do pop up. Yeah. Did you see the um, the the tweets back and forth between um, Metcalf and Russell about that? I heard the, that there was some shade going on there. Oh, it wasn't shade. It was um, <laughs> DK said something about how he's like Russell owes him one An apology. After throwing, yeah. th- for for throwing that fastball. Um, and um, Wilson, you know, his response was something like, "Yep, throw it high and tight." Chin music. Um, you know, it's a baseball <laughs> reference. <laughs> um, and uh, so no, there was no shade. It was, it was um, good banner. Back it was and just, forth. yeah, it was just the guys being silly and whatnot. I thought it was entertaining. And um, what did you think of awesome. of Damian Lewis's performance in this game, Keith? At being asked you know, the, to play center for the very first time in his entire career. In the first half, it was bad. I mean, it was genuinely not impressive in any way. He had, you know, the fumbled snap and, and he got trucked and he just, he struggled. But later in the game, he started to settle in. You could tell he got, he was getting used to, um, you know, the position and what he was doing. He got better as the game went Come on. on. He had a great run blocking game. He always does. <laughs> yeah. He had a 65.8 grade overall, but his run blocking grade was like uh, close to 88 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you have uh, his, um, he does, he does, he's a great run blocker and his overall, um, you know, performance, you you have to grade him down for, for getting trucked and, and the, you know, some of the stuff that happened, but all of that stuff happened in the first half. He really settled down and played better in the second half. And he really like kind of figured the position out. And this was an emergency center. I mean, this is a guy that he's a guard. He's yeah. not a center. He doesn't have the attributes of a center. He doesn't have the physical. Um, yeah, but check you know, check this out. So overall, Pro Football Focus has him rated number seven graded rookie overall in 2020. Uh, but his run block grade, it was 84.9. I'd say 88. His run block grade of 84.9 against the Cardinals at center led all centers in the NFL in this week and third best all year at the position. That's crazy to me. I mean, that would mean that, um, you know, he can play both guard and center. I mean, it really gives us a hedge next year for Posick. I know that we want to bring back Posick. I think that would be the optimal situation, but if we can't, you could slide Damian Lewis over to center and bring in another guard. Yeah, I don't know about the um uh the hedge situation there because he I mean he's a guard. He's built like a guard. Um I think it's one of those thing, things where they now know they can depend on him as a backup at center if Posick gets hurt or that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't you're talking about one of the better guards in the NFL. Uh, the idea of moving him to center when the guards a more valuable position. Uh I just don't see that as being a um, a worthwhile uh, move by the Seahawks. All right. Um, Seattle finished with 165 yards rushing, mm-hmm. including, you know, some scrambles by Wilson, but nonetheless, uh, Mike Upati had a good game. Um, great Got blocking a, up front. They need, and they needed him to only allow one pressure for, for pass rush. So. They were paper thin on the interior line. I mean, you've already got Lewis, uh, uh moved from guard to center um Simmons was not available because of injury so you've got um Kyle Jones. Fuller obviously out. Yeah, you've got Jones uh at one, you've got Lupati at the other. Um this was they were just paper thin um in the middle there. And so they needed Lupati to play well and they needed him to finish a game, which is something he hasn't been doing. He's been playing, you know, um all but a couple of series or, you know, uh, three quarters of a game to essentially uh, when he's played this year. And they didn't really have the ability for him to take um, series off um, in this one. So they needed a good game from him. Got They got it. And it's good to see. Yeah, that was a good game all around. It was a very important game. Um, it was the game of the year. Because if we had lost that game, that would really put us behind the eight ball, um, trying to claw back in. So um, let's go forward. And let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagle Monday night game next week. 
Um, Seahawks have 11 days in between, which is great for us. I mean, you kind of want to stick with it and kind of get right back in the saddle. But at the same time, having so many guys integrated back in health-wise, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a great week to have guys come back and gives us a little bit of extra time. Uh, Philadelphia really? faced... Like there's so many different guys that were banged up, even those that, that finished the game and played... Um, just a lot of a lot of little injuries, a lot of nagging injuries. They needed the time to get uh, over all of that so they could, um, you know, just be ready to play again. To our Zoom uh, watchers, there's there's the cat. <laughs> so I was trying to trying to um, <laughs> trying to not let uh, her, you know, step on the the keyboard in the middle of recording here and therefore screw nice. all the stuff up. So um, that's what was going on there. All right, the seven and three uh, Seahawks face the three six and one uh, NFC East leading Philadelphia Eagles Monday night. Um, Monday night football. The Eagles have won three primetime games this year. Their their three wins have all been in primetime this year, so they're probably looking forward to this game in a weird sort of way. Um, Seahawks, obviously, uh, historically with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, have been tremendous in primetime games. So. Uh, Doug Peterson's kind of been uh, on the hot seat this year um, as head coach, 2018 Super Bowl champions, but they have not fared well the last couple of years. Seahawks sent them out of the playoffs last year, uh, sent Wentz out of the playoffs with the concussion. Um, that kind of contributes to the Carson Wentz conversation that I think we should have a little bit uh, versus the Browns. He was uh, 235 yards, a couple touchdowns, two interceptions. One was a pick six, sacked five times. He's taken 40 sacks this year already, number one in the NFL. Um, it's It's been a you know one of those years for Carson Wentz. He's hesitating a lot. He's not trusting his reads. The offense is taking a long time to develop, and we've heard that a little bit with Schottenheimer. Um, but Carson Wentz takes it to another level as far as holding on to the ball. Um He's holding onto the ball without Russell Wilson's elusiveness. Um, yeah. Well, he used to be elusive, but now he's not. He had the ACL and, and lateral tears in 2018. Yep. He had the concussion. He's had a vertebrae, broken vertebrae. So medically speaking, he's a different player than he was. Um, and, and in between the years, I think that sort, sort of affects you a little bit. Plus, his offensive line is horrible this year. Yeah. Injuries and poor play. Lane Johnson and Jason Peters are getting older and they're prone to injury. And they're, uh, Jason Peters allowed three sacks in this last game against a team without Garrett uh, in there. So I thought I watched a, quite a bit of this game because I didn't have a game to watch on Sunday. And um, Cleveland plays a, a real nice straight up 4 3 defense that reminds me a lot of what the Seahawks like to do. So I was able to kind of watch Seattle's defense, quote unquote, against. Uh, the Eagles team and boy, the Eagles just struggled in almost every aspect of the game on offense. Now, defensively, I like kind of what the Eagles are able to do, but as time goes on, it's the, the whole team just kind of breaks down a little bit um, schematically. Yeah. They're the, offensively. They're a mess. And, and a lot of it, a lot of it starts up front. Um, you men- mentioned Peters. He you, you know, used to be one of the best in the game, but um, age caught up to him real quick. He looks real slow. Um, and I, there was talk about, uh, this week that maybe they would, would bench him and mm-hmm. play someone else they just against don't have the Seahawks right now. And the, you know, the coaches were like, no, he's going to, he's going to start, he's going to play. So, um, like that'll tell you how bad that he has been. Um, and yeah. now he's going to be there and, and you've got, um, you know, he's going to have uh, Carlos Dunlap to deal with and mm-hmm. that'll be a That'll be a really interesting uh, matchup and one that that Dunlap could definitely win. Um, so or make possible for for somebody else to win, yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's going to be some single single blocking on some of these guys. So um, you know, out of 33 qualified quarterbacks, Wentz is ranked 32nd in completion percentage, 31st in yards per attempt, 31st in quarterback rating, leads the league in 14 interceptions and nine fumbles. Uh, four of those lost. Um, his so mechanics are turnovers. His oh. mechanics are a mess. He's, yeah, he's spraying the ball all over his. Um, I mean, he used to have you know a, a good arm. He was um, 
pretty accurate. He sometimes still has a threw, good arm. Sometimes, sometimes he threw a ball that was a little too heavy. Um, you know, didn't always have like the really great touch on it, but um, definite arm talent. And now he's he's just spraying it around. I mean, it's it's like a shotgun rather than you know a sniper well, there, rifle. <laughs> when you have poor offensive line, his his receiving talent is okay, and he's just lost a little bit physically and mentally. It's taken a toll. You know, the mm-hmm. whole thing, the whole package is not working right now. Plus, his coaches aren't helping him. They're, they, they could benefit from the same way that um, Seattle approached the Arizona game with a quick, nice rhythm passing attack, um, and they're not doing that. And I don't know why, because he's, he's like sixth in the league in uh, seconds per, you know, for pass drop back. And um, against the Cleveland Browns, he was holding on the ball for over four seconds on like 23 out of 40 dropbacks. I mean, it was just not good. And uh, consequently, um, they had five sacks against him and pressured him a ton. Like half of his dropbacks were under pressure. And he's not the greatest quarterback under pressure. And so it's, it's, a, it's just a recipe for, for a loss for them until they can figure that out. Their defense isn't too bad. You know, their defense is okay, but their offense is is bad enough where the defense is out there a lot. They get worn out towards the third the end of the third quarter and by the fourth quarter teams are really running on them and passing all over them. They can't get to the quarterback. It's uh it's 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 just it's a three-win team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's what it what it amounts to. It's also a division leading team, which will tell you just Oh, and that how- just makes them scary. Just how bad that team, I don't know if that makes them scary. It well, it does them... to me, you know, and you, t- you got a team that's pretty confident in the Seahawks on the road, going on the road on a team that has nothing to lose and they have a decent defense, you know? And so that if Russell, obviously if Russell Wilson can get past that, that's fine. Not many teams have slowed down Russell Wilson, but um, I think offensively, I think uh, against the Seahawks defense, I think that this, this is a game that you could build on. Uh, if you're the Seattle Seahawks because uh, of Dunlap and, and, and company can go in there and, and uh, put some pressure on him and when he's, if he's under pressure and I think he will be in this game, given the developments that we've had with the Seahawks pass rush in the last three weeks, we lead the NFL. Um, he's going to end up making some mistakes and Seahawks are going to capitalize. We're going to get more possessions in this game. We're going to own time of possession. Our run game is going to continue to, to, give them problems. Um, although they, they do have a really pretty decent run defense. Um, I think we can be successful in the air if we can keep Russell Wilson upright. Um, but they're, they're pretty stout against the run. Fletcher Cox is no joke. That guy can still play. Brandon Graham's there. Um, AJ Singleton, uh, their, um, their really good linebacker is, is really decent. Other than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I go through and, and you look at, uh, at this team and, um, you know, they got blown out by the Rams. They beat, um, or they got, they got beat by Washington. Who's bad. They had their tie against Cincy, um, which let's face it, since he's not good this year, um, their three wins are against the giants, um, the Dallas, uh, on November 1st. So after all, um, all of the Dallas, you know, like that, um, Dak and company are, are all hurt. Um, and you know, the San Francisco 49ers, the Giants, Dallas, those are the three wins. Um, they've got losses to the Giants who are bad. Um, you know, Baltimore and Pittsburgh, those are good teams. You kind of expect them to lose. Um, lost to the Rams. They got blown out, lost to Washington. Who's bad. Um, I mean, this is a, this is, this is not a team with any sort of resume that says they are good. They, they just don't. Um, and I mean, they only scored 17 points against Cleveland. They only scored 17 against the giants. Um, and Washington. 19, yeah, get, 19 against the Rams. Um, I mean, it's, you know, 23, I think, um, their highest out scoring output of the year is 29 against Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, and that was after the game was out. Yeah. And that the game, the game was a, a blowout and then, a, you know, they get, they got some points at the end. Um, but you know, they got, they, they got kind of blown out in that one. Um, and, and this just isn't, this is just, isn't a good football team. 
And it all starts with their quarterback who is really struggling this year. Very much um, so. And, and it all comes to, down to pressure. Get the guy some pressure. Your coverages, I think that Seahawks would benefit from, from playing a four-man front most of the game in this game um, so that you can drop seven into coverage. And um, I think that that is, the, that is the key. So if you can get pressure with four guys against uh, the, the Eagles, it's, it's going to be a win, you know, because Russell Wilson's going to get his points. There's no way that these guys can play from behind. The Eagles are not set up for that. They have, um, their run game is okay. Um, their uh, Miles Sanders is a really decent running back. Uh, he's prone to put the ball down on the ground a couple times, uh, you know, once in a while. But um, it's, uh, I, I think Seattle, you know, in this game is probably looking at 35 points. Um, I think that, you know, the, the teams that have put up points on them are the Steelers, uh, the Ravens put up 30, um, and then the Rams 37. Uh, I see us putting up 30 plus getting well, at the, least to our average, the, the giants, which are, which are not a good, um, team put up 27 on them. Yeah. So, I mean, I just don't, I, I'm, this is a team that needs to rebuild and I hope that Doug Peterson doesn't, uh, end he's, up, a, he's on the hot seat to where uh, I think he, he might be in jeopardy. Their, their should, owner has already come out and said that he's unhappy with the results of this year. And there's going to be some true. He should be unhappy with the results the of the year, but he's got a coach that just won a Super Bowl and did so with a backup quarterback by, um, you know, having an entire team that played well. And so, okay, now he's got stuck with the quarterback that has major mechanical issues and just isn't the player he was a couple of years ago. And, they and they're stuck move. with him too. I mean, yeah, he's under they, contract until 2023. They need to figure out a way to, to either fix him or, you know, get someone else in that, that can play. Um, and that well, will they need a new a offensive coordinator. I think they, they need a guy, they, they switched offensive coordinators this year and this other guy's just not getting it done. They've got some talent. I mean, you look at their roster. They've got Sanders. They've they've still got uh, the Jalen Hurts is their backup quarterback that they picked up in the second round. Jalen yeah. Rager is their wide receiver that they picked up. Very talented, speedy kind of guy. In fact, Seattle needs to watch out for that guy. He's got 16 catches, 211 yards, and a touchdown on the year. So he's just now coming into his own. Zach Ernst is hurt. They're tight end. Uh, so Seattle won't have to face him. Uh, Fulham, um is their deep threat guy, 31 receptions, 541 yards, four touchdowns. Dallas Godert their go-to tight end for everything, blocking, receiving, et cetera. And they got um, Alshon Jeffrey back. Yeah, um, but he's not, he's not doing anything for him. Yeah, I mean, he, he's played, he's played, what is it, like 17 snaps for him this year. He yeah. just came back. No, no receptions. I think one target. Um, yeah, he's, he's not even going to be a factor. I yeah, just I think mean, it's just it's just a it's a tough situation because their offensive line is really poor. They've they've held on to their tackles one year too long, and they they don't have anybody in the wings to to step in and, and help them in that regard. So they're going to have to focus their off season uh, probably on their offensive line, and um, I think that's where it starts for them. They get an offensive line. It, that's the only way you can keep Carson Wentz upright, and because you can't, he's got forty sacks. Mm-hmm. And he's still got six games to play, you know, and so that that could be a historic kind of situation for them um, if if it keeps going. So hopefully Seattle can add to that total uh, this this week. Let's go get a win, you know. I think that this is this is definitely a win. We both predict, you know. I think in the in our prediction show, I think this was one of those games where I had a loss. I think I'm gonna go look really quick. I initially had a loss on this game. I think you did too. Um, because going into the year, the Eagles were supposed to be, they were going to win the East. They still might, they were going to win the East, but they were going to be a contender. Um, just yeah. because they got some weapons, they got Hargrave, um, in the off season as a defensive tackle. And he was supposed to be amazing from Pittsburgh. He is an amazing player, but on the year, he's got a half a sack, one quarterback hit in the last five games. So he hasn't been producing for those guys. Um, yeah, just, this, they just don't have enough talent. This is a team yeah. that really that's really dis- disappointed, um, and a lot of it has to do with you know guys like Peters that um, mm-hmm. you know he's been a been a Pro Bowl slash All Pro for quite a while, and you just kind of expect him to continue at that level, and instead he's just completely fallen off. And um, 
Well, and he like, didn't even finish the game. I mean, they they had some injuries and stuff, and their yeah. center, uh, Jason Kalth, uh was injured, had an elbow injury, came back and fought through that, but he's in question this week. They just don't, they're decimated. Yep, Ertz has been hurt. Yeah, um, Alshon Jeffrey, they just given him nothing. He was supposed to be there. Um, you know, on paper, he's their number one and has been for years, but um, you know, he's played seventeen snaps this this season and has. One target, no reception. So, um, yeah, he's not a not a guy that um, that they can count. There's just a lot of things. And yeah, you mentioned Hargraves. Just bit, he was their big acquisition, and it's he's kind of been a bust for him too. And and um, this, this was a team that looked like they were going to be good, but they yeah. just defensively, like I said, they they're not slacking. I mean, they're believe it or not, their their pass rush ranks first in the NFL in team pass rush grade, um, but. You know, unfortunately for them, I mean, it's worked in the past. I think for for uh, against the Seahawks, we've seen that where Russell has struggled a little bit, but he also has um, a, a, a pass um, rating, passer rating of over ninety against pressure. So, um, you know, I, that would be their only hope is if they were to end up getting you know four or five sacks in this game and causing a couple turnovers, getting a couple interceptions and making it interesting, but. Um, I just don't see that happening. Any hoodaloo. What do you think as far as a um, uh, prediction? I like, I do expect, uh, I mean, I expect the Seahawk offense to get it, um, to get its points. They, they have against everybody, but the Rams, um, even when Wilson played terribly, uh, they still got 34 points. So, um, <laughs> except for the game against the Rams. So I expect, uh, the Seahawk offense to get their points and I just don't see where, Philly's going to um, score points on Seattle. Um, I could see this one easy being like thirty-one uh, seventeen or thirty-one thirteen, um, pretty easily. Oh, wow, you're uh, seeing our defense step up. It's not so much the defense stepping up as it is. I just don't trust Philly to do anything offensively against anyone. Um, I just they, don't they like can, their, though. I mean, I if they don't, don't turn like the, if we offense. don't, if we don't get pressure, they can Carson Wentz is good enough to dink and dunk down the field. He's not a great deep ball thrower by any means, but he can dink and dunk. They've got a decent running game when they can get it going. Um, yeah, but you're up, they're up against one of the better run defenses in the NFL. That's so very true. If they Absolutely. are, if, if they need to get Sanders going in the running game in order to have an offense that works, they're in trouble. Um, to beat Seattle, you've got to be able to throw the ball. And, um, you know, luckily for other teams, Seattle's not particularly good at defending the pass until the last six quarters when they have been. Um, we'll and, see if that continues. And because so, Quill Griffin's going to get reinserted into the into the lineup. And I'm, on, I'm very curious to see if, if, if we maintain our ability. Uh, if we don't, I think he'll get pulled because you look at what the team has done uh, in the last couple of weeks with uh, DJ Reed out there, and there's no denying mm-hmm. that he needs to. So let me ask you this. Uh, we didn't have the, the corner or the, the defensive back conversation. I thought we might, but uh, so what do you, what do you think of Amadi and Reed looking at that nickel spot? I mean, uh, I mean, if, if Reed is, do you think that flowers would get paired with, Griffin or do you think Reed gets paired with Griffin? I think flowers will get paired with Griffin because they like his length and his ability to come up and make a tackle. Um, Reed's been a very good tackler though. I have to say he has been, but we're, but we're also talking about a guy who's five, eight and um, is built to be a slot guy and they've been mm-hmm. playing him on the outside. He doesn't have great length, um, but they've been playing him on the outside because they had to. Um, and that's why I think they go with uh, flowers and Griffin and then, take your pick as the guy that comes in uh, on the inside. But I tell you, if, um, if Griffin isn't a hundred percent and if he isn't playing like he did last year, I'd bench him quick. There'd be a real short leash. Uh, and I'd get Reed back in there because Reed's played. He's been better than, um, than Griffin was at any point this year. Yeah. So. All right. Cool. So it sounds like a win. Sounds like a win. Let's go get it. I think we'll be eight and three and, and marching forward. So, um, we're going to wrap this up. 
So find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NW Seahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. Seahawksplaybook.com has all of the shows where you can find all of our podcasts um, and, and listen to, to everything going back to the very first episode, 200 episodes ago. And, um, and look on your favorite podcast apps, get subscriptions going so that you can make sure that uh, we land in your feed every week without missing a single show. So until next time, Keith, go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Phil is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.